0: Your old mate Mitch Ben's back and we are all still confined to barracks. So you might remember that I began the last one of these by apologising for how late it was and promising to be more punctual next time. Yeah, that didn't happen, did it? Uh, In my defence, I should point out that, um, well, I've been through the mill a bit. Uh, Just after I recorded the interview that you are about to hear, I had a bit of a health scare. Um, Nothing in any way virus-related. I'm not that fashionable. And it has all now been resolved happily. I am okay. But it did take me out of circulation for quite a few days and left me with quite the backlog to make up, uh, both with this podcast and, indeed, with everything else I'm doing. But I am now making it up, and I'm delighted to say that I'm back in the saddle with this interview with... The award-winning children's author, uh, occasional Doctor Who writer, including that one about the forest that was magic, and my fellow Liverpudlian, the wonderful Frank Cottrell Boyce. I already know what's going to happen here. I'm going to get progressively more audibly scouse over the course of this interview.
1: Yes, I was just thinking.
0: Yeah, whenever whenever I speak to anybody else from Liverpool, my scouse accent slowly creeps up and up and up. So I should (laughs) probably sound like Stephen Gerrard by the time we wrap this up. I, as I'm sure you know, uh, in, in in this podcast, ask people for recommendations for good things to do while we're all locked up, and mm-hmm. I usually start with books.
1: So, yeah. what
0: have you got as regards books?
1: <laughs> as regards books, and yes. um, and I'm allowed to like a serious book and a fun book, aren't I? You
0: can do whatever you like, mate. You know.
1: Well, um, I mean, I read a lot for work, and I'm working on something at the moment. I, actually, I'm working on something on a, that's set on. I'm working on a children's book that's set on a Scottish island. Oh wow. So I've been reading lots of things, and I think it's the reason it's ended up being set, though, is because that's where I want to go and I'm completely stuck. Yes. So I'm pouring all my kind of energy into that. So I've been reading um, Red Ring of Bright Water, I've been reading lots of Robert Macfarlane stuff about islands and faraway mm-hmm. parts of Britain, a brilliant Geraldine McOchran book about St Kilda called The End of the World.
0: Oh, St Kilda's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Um, that's a dream day. to get there. Yeah. So far away. I mean, it's so it's still really far away from anywhere. It is. You know, like you know. in terms of physically getting there. But for them, if like if they wanted to appeal to the Lord of the Isles, it would take them like a week in a rowing yeah. boats to get there. Yeah. To say, can we have a bit more grain? Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, and yeah. exactly. And and, their, and their the standard, light bulb's gone. <laughs> yes, their standard system of post was to basically do messages in bottles, wasn't it? It was their, yeah. they they yeah, no, used completely. to float. Um, messages in bottles out attached to sort of wooden boxes in the hope that they would reach the mainland but occasionally they would reach the mainland of Norway yeah and then you just have to hope that somebody in Norway was benevolent enough to stick it in the post
1: I mean you have to wonder (laughs) yes
0: it was just (laughs) crazy who was it
1: who sailed in there and said um it's not really got a harbour it's got massive cliffs you can't really plough it yeah we'll be fine
0: Yes, who was that fish (laughs) off it That's the thing. I find myself wondering that about Aberystwyth. You know, how did it get there? Um, Because it's completely unapproachable from all sides.
1: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You used to get around Britain by water. Yes. And places that are like you really notice it in Scotland. I spend a lot of time on the Solway Firth. So there'll be you'll come to a town. It's like an hour and a half's drive from nothing. Yeah, I, but it's a proper town. Of course, it was twenty minutes away from Carlisle by water. By boat, you know. yeah. So that was that. That was what I was reading. Um, you know, like I I'm kind of interested in people who make mental journeys when they've been locked down. Yes, <laughs> I mean, so one of my favourite ever books is a book by Philippa Pierce called The Minnow on the Say, right. which is about two little boys who find a boat and go up and down this river looking for treasure, and it's it's just a reminiscence, really. She was very ill when she wrote it, and she was kind of reliving this journey. So I'm reliving all these trips to Scotland in my head. What else have been reading? I've been reading Three Men in a Boat for a lark. Never stops being the funniest thing ever. That's the thing that you read out a lot. The thing that we've done is like because like like really trying hard to fight bedroom culture because when you get into a routine, that's it. But like my mother-in-law is living with us, so she's 86. So we've effectively self-isolated since the beginning.
0: Yeah, you'll have to get our
1: veg delivered. Not really seen anybody at all, apart from my own mum, who were doing my shopping for. Yeah. Um. So we're all the company that we've got for each other. So there's been a lot of, like, finding things to read out to each other and making sure that we socialise with each other mm-hmm. and not just drift off to sit on Twitter in your own bedroom or whatever. Yeah. And then for the serious book, coming up to, to lockdown, I was really kind of, I'd kind of lost my joy in writing because I was working on a laptop, which Neil Gaiman said is like trying to type in the middle of a circus. <laughs> but, but if you're a children's writer you're kind of doing your own publicity so yeah th- that double bind thing like you're having this as well aren't you that you have to have a presence because th- that's where your audience is going to find you Well, actually for lent i gave up the inter- i tried to give up the internet completely for lent right wow uh which was really interesting for like and then halfway through lent of course this this started and there was just no possibility because yeah. Or oh, my shopping was being done by it, or oh, my contacts were being done by it, meetings, Zooms, everything. So I've been reading The Twittering Machine by Richard Seymour. Have you come across that? I've not, no. It's absolutely an amazing read. It's an account of of that really. It's like our relationship with the internet and exactly why we're addicted and what's good about that and what's bad about that. Shall I read your paragraph? It's so good.
0: Go ahead, right,
1: please. Um, Neuroscientists tell us that physically the brain cannot focus on more than one attention-rich input at a time. The state of being distracted, which is how I was writing, as when one is constantly notified by new emails, updates, software alerts, app alerts, news alerts. This is not a state of of magnificently keeping several balls in the air. This is a state of continuous energy-consuming shifts from one object of focus to another. It can take half an hour to recover full attention once you're distracted for a minute. This state of distraction that we idealize as multitasking is squandering. To pay attention is to diminish the attention that one has available. To pay attention in this distracted fashion is to waste attention. So like, wow. Had that. I could read that out because it's pinned on my wall.
0: Do you do your own audiobooks?
1: No, I don't. Um, like Peter Capaldi did the last one. And yeah, exactly. you know, they get great people to do them. I, I, I do like reading my own. And in fact, over the lockdown, because I, I was kind of a. I I started to do quite a lot of online activity during the lockdown as a kind of like, because I was not worried, but like I was aware that there were people with children who didn't have gardens and didn't have space to play. So I kind of wanted to do some little thing so I read one of my whole one of my books in installments which was a bloody big education because you kind of read the best bits when you go to school so having to read all of it was yes, hmm like, that's a facer uh, it's like <laughs> that could have gone you didn't need to have that in there that could have gone there and I like that you yeah. dialogue with, this is a book that this is so weird because this is a book that I wrote several years ago and I, yeah. I, I, I read it on Instagram in installments because I I was talking to other people about, you know, whether you would ever write about the pandemic. And someone said, you know, you've written a book about a viral pandemic already. And I'd completely forgotten that I'd written a book about a viral pandemic (laughs) in which the kids were heroes. It was called the the virus was like it was called feline related respiratory tract syndrome. Um, And it but everyone called it killer kittens because you got it off cats right and um the two kids in it are the heroes they they're kind of they turn out to be the antidote or they turn out to be the source of the vaccine. so it was very empowering and it, yeah. it was like incredibly prescient in loads of ways london is on lockdown it's all been cleared out um, right. they end up in the palace and they it, it, it was like it was so on the money and I'd, I'd completely forgotten that i'd done this so it was really <laughs> really really bizarre that was like at the beginning and it took me like three weeks to read it in installments and just Jack and my own book, which was fantastic.
0: Do you have any podcast or other audio stuff to recommend?
1: I have become obsessed with the fact that um, we're living in a world of stats where yeah. I don't trust any of the stats. <laughs> <laughs> um, or I mean, I would trust the stats, but I don't really trust the... I think we've been very... Inf- considering we're living in the information age, the hmm. picture that we're getting is very cloudy and contradictory. Yeah. So Tim Harford has been my my beacon i've clutched my i'm clutching to his feet and holding on to him to get me out of the storm so anything that tim hartford does i'm listening to so the more or less podcast is brilliant, and off the back of that i listen to 50 things that created the modern age which do both wow. tim hartford things and he's just brilliant about making numbers understandable and um because we talk in big numbers all the time but we don't know what a big Nobody really can picture what a billion is. Exactly. Yeah. And we talk in those numbers all the time, so it's just really interesting. And every in in every one of those more or less ones, he'll often take something quite trivial that you've got in your head, like how how many miles can you write with an HB pencil or something like that, and do the maths on that. And that's really interesting as well to find what you think, what you think you know, and what you don't know. So I would highly recommend. Always, but particularly now, more or less.
0: John Finnemont, when I interviewed him today, says he thinks he's the only, um, only white guy in his 40s that doesn't have his own podcast right
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, like I said, we're trying to fight better in culture. So we've been on the lookout for things that make, you know, teenagers laugh and 86 year old people laugh. So John's show, which I want to call Cabin Fever, <laughs> <laughs> cabin, that, that's, but I know it's cabin, cabin pressure about
0: that. that's because um, he, he is actually doing a web series now, a YouTube series now called Cabin, called cabin
1: Fever but, Yeah, I know. Uh, no, so I've been listening Arthur to that
0: being under, being under lockdown but, um, but yeah, we we're listening
1: cabin to pressure. cabin pressure in that phase that it's got to where everybody in the room already knows every single line and yes. joins in so it's kind of got the quality of ritual to it yes. which uh, it's kind of like it's entered the kind of with nail state yeah, um, yeah and it's inexplicable why it's so good I don't know,
0: I don't know why it's so good why does Sean it work It's just one of the cleverest and nicest people you could ever meet and I think that's really what it comes down to and that absolutely shines through all his writing He's ridiculous. that's
1: been rebroadcast on a Sunday evening and I yes. don't know why given that we've listened to it till our ears drop off but mm-hmm. if we still get together for the Sunday evening broadcast I don't
0: know why. there John if you're listening another shout out for Kevin Pressure that's no great. and
1: just that's spend all day shouting out about it
0: are there any TV shows or streaming shows or similar, which you would care to recommend right now?
1: See, that's been hard. Like, a, like our central lockdown issue has been to find entertaining stuff that brings us all together. Yeah. And we like a laugh, but actually comedy I'm found is incredibly divisive, isn't it? Because
0: yeah, very subjective. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But also like, if you're trying to like, we've got an 86 year old in the house and we've got teenagers in the house. So, Finding that middle ground's been hard, so there's been kind of a lot of going back to classics. Yeah, there's been you know some like it hearts, quite a lot of um, kind of Miss Marpley detective films, but not rubbish ones. So we've right. watched the whole of Endeavour, um, okay. um, Knives Out, which is fantastic.
0: Carl, I love but, that movie. Oh Jesus, it's brilliant. I, I love. I think I, I think Craig is being very very canny in that he's doing. As much stuff that's as unlike James Bond as possible. While he's,
1: he's brilliant still- in that film. Yeah. I mean, he's brilliant in Lucky Logan as well. He's a great, 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 great character actor.
0: Exactly. He's a great character actor. This is it. He's actually, yeah. The, the, the Bond is very atypical of the kind of stuff he's done over the years because he's basically a, 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 a an oddball character actor yeah. rather than a, a leading man in most space. But I love the way all the way through that film, you're never sure whether he's actually an eccentric genius or just a pompous buffoon yeah and, and also all the way through the movie you're not sure whether you want him to be an eccentric genius or a pompous buffoon yeah you keep changing your mind about which way you whether you want him to be clever or stupid you know it's, And w- it's, it's, what's
1: amazing about that film is that it suddenly hits you with something really substantial towards the end you've been on this great ride yeah and then you realize that it's about being a good person yes and finding out that you are a good person yeah is, oh it's just a wonderful wonderful film great. so that was great yeah. And then there's been a lot of um, TV that I wouldn't normally watch because I wouldn't feel it was addressed to me. And I don't watch a lot of TV anyway, but like mm. TV that I wouldn't have known was addressed to me. But when I'm watching it with that group, that range of people, um, feeling it's absolutely genius. So that would be uh, real life things that, uh, especially about people doing stuff. So like DIY SOS, which is an amazing <laughs> program. What an amazing program. And what yeah. a great... Um, I worry about male role models in, in our culture, you know, right. they're often incredibly negative. And that is a, about bunches of men who are incredibly warm hearted, highly competent, altruistic, funny. It's just such a treat to watch that show. And I, I, I could watch that till my eyes dropped out. I think that's wonderful. Cry nearly every week. Um, yes. And, Similar to that, is uh, partly because one of my teenage daughters has a massive crush on him. Is Doctor in the House, which Dr. Chatterjee kind of moves in with people with chronic right. problems and finds out that it was just always they weren't sleeping properly or they, yeah, you know, I mean, they're on the, the, the arc, is they're on heavy medication on the point of despair. Dr. Chatterjee moves in and listens to them and finds out that they're just not eating enough bananas and it's all yes. fine and it's just great, it's really great. I mean, I think what's great about the ones that I've said, like Doctor in the House or DIY SOS as well, is that it tends to be dealing with people who feel that they've dropped off the edge of the world, you know, people with disabled kids or chronic illnesses and have become invisible. And it kind of forces you to think about people who are in really terrible situations. And then it says, and it can be fixed, you know, it can be made better by people being good. And I I love that, you know, I think it's it's in short supply and it's really well done on DIY SOS particularly.
0: No, I mean, yeah, I mean, one of the things about this whole episode is that it has flagged up some, you know, fairly grim aspects of human nature, but it's also flagged up some absolutely luminous aspects of human oh,
1: nature. Oh, hugely. I mean, I think until the coming saga, I think you, what you felt about humanity was pretty good coming yeah, out, what, however you of thought about of, the government. He's
0: knocked a lot of the fun out of the room, hasn't he? He really has. Yeah, it
1: really, really has, because it's such a massive betrayal. But, um, you know, like I, I kept saying at the beginning, like, I know you've written a dystopian novel, but like the <laughs> the, 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 arc that people, artists art has got us used to is this kind of veneer model of society that civilization is just a thin veneer. And actually, if you take away the chocolate, the there'll be societal of- collapse and everyone will eat each other. You yeah. know, uh, Lord of the Flies or whatever. And actually, totally the opposite. People being... You know, incredibly thoughtful of each other, and careful of each other, and reaching out to each other, and communities have really kind of come together. And it's been—it was really, really positive until Cummins came and yeah. turned it all over and went, "You've all been idiots." And yeah, um, I don't I think—I
0: still don't think that the government get just what a big deal that was. I still don't think. No. They get the, 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 well, it's the, weird, the, isn't
1: it? Because it's quite hard yeah. to pin down what a big deal it was. Because it, it isn't really about him. He, he made a yeah. ridiculous mistake and lots of other people did it's the yeah. fact that they staked the entire government credibility on saying he didn't he didn't he didn't it was a big yeah. boy and he ran away and he went to a different school and you don't know him
0: yeah exactly like,
1: it, yeah. I, and seeing your attorney general talk like a, a year six kid is just like you know it's, yeah. it just made everyone feel homeless really i think
0: yeah that's the point i mean the thing is he could even have stayed in his job if he just said uh, you know look I i'm pan- sorry yeah i yeah. panicked all right i panicked yeah. sorry about that yeah that's
1: a thought experiment isn't it if dominic cummings had stood up and went uh i did a stupid thing i'm really sorry am i going to resign no because there's enough chaos going in uh, yeah. going I'm on at the moment yeah. when it's all over i'll resign then
0: okay yeah exactly yeah if he'd said that be done totally different story. and it would have
1: taken three minutes two, uh, one minute instead of three quarters of an hour of just making yourself look very, very yeah. stupid.
0: And and yeah, exactly. And 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 that's the point. Is it's just it's it's the whole, you know, the party's final command was to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. You know what I mean? It's 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 yes, it's yes, just too, yes. It's, yes. Yeah. Every, every now and again, Orwell predicts something a bit too closely. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I want to talk about the improving or helpful thing that you think we should all be doing, or that you've been doing.
1: Well. Um, um I've been like I think it's a paddy thing that's something deep in any one of Irish extraction is that the minute <laughs> this started I dug up the back lawn and planted loads of spuds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a kind of survivalist thing and actually do you know what that's been great. I I've yeah. never taken gardening seriously at all and because the garden's there and we've got it um I've I've been mostly growing food things. But that's been an amazing revelation. I mean, it's going to sound anyone who already does garden is going to think, well, what the hell have you been doing with the rest of your life not to have noticed this? But the joy of when, because they've been growing stuff from seed, the joy of when a seed germinates and how incredibly protective you feel of it. It's like, oh, when's it going to rain? Oh, don't let it rain. There'll be slugs. You know, I'm obsessed with slugs. They slept out in the garden. We put a tent up. We had a pretend holiday. We've tried to kind of do stuff as though this wasn't happening But in your imagination, like I said, writing a book that's set somewhere I want to go. And we put a tent up and went on holiday in the back garden. And I was lying there in the tent thinking, I can hear slugs eating my brassicas. I'm going to get out. (laughs) (laughs) And I've never had a brassica before in my life. But like to have grown bits of broccoli from seed, it's like or cauliflower or whatever. That's kind of amazing, you know, and it's like and it's it's very like writing so that you, you you thrilled when it first germinates you think oh you're like i've got an idea this is amazing yeah ah, i'm a genius and then like if you neglect it for one day it's over you know you've That's got to definitely. really be on it and it's very unrewarding for a long time and then suddenly you'll go out and go this broccoli actually looks like a bit of actual edible broccoli all of a sudden oh my yeah. god And it's, it's really it's thrilling it's absolutely thrilling <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> it's joking. just been the whole growing of beans has been a thrill ride from start to finish a <laughs> roller coaster of emotion and uh you know i've had to learn valiant skills in slug fighting and yeah getting out there in the heat of the day with the water which you shouldn't do i know but anyway you know so that that's been good and then the other kind of thing that i thought would be self-improving but has only exposed the floor in my character is that uh, <laughs> getting on duolingo ah uh, and i thought i'd do but i actually speak quite this is so terrible this is like the worst okay this is the worst character description that you've ever heard of anyone right this Go is on. me thought so I'll do Duolingo because it is an opportunity to learn a language so I'll do Spanish which I already actually speak because I lived yeah. in Spain for a year but oh, I kind of rationalized that thinking well it will improve my Spanish and you know I haven't used Spanish for a while and uh, it'll expose me to it and it will improve my Spanish and so I chose Spanish because it was easy because I could already do it <laughs> and then I like fulfilled all my streak requirements and then discovered like a week in, that there's a league table in Duolingo, which I didn't know about. Oh, wow. And you can get promoted to the next league. And I just became absolutely obsessed with getting promoted every week right. um, and ran up huge scores just to get promoted. It makes absolutely no difference, no difference whatsoever. Right. Does not make you better at Spanish. <laughs> And I'm now in the Obsidian League, which is pretty high. There's still a couple what? of leagues left. I was talking to my son about it, going, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Obsidian League. And he's <laughs> like, so are you bilingual now? It's like, no. <laughs> it's like, I haven't actually done the past tense yet.
0: You know? no, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, well, I've mean, right.
1: like, learned nothing about Spanish, but I learned a lot about my the bad side of my personality. <laughs> well, I mean, I've got
0: a degree so that's what, that's what my degree is. Oh, really? Was. Yeah. Where did you live in Spain? We
1: lived in the Basque Country. Wow. Which we didn't, uh, you know, and we bought the whole thing with the. Ba- this is a terrible story. Do you want to hear this story? This is terrible, God, right? God. Well, we just thought we'd go and live abroad for a year because we could. And we've done that a few times. We homeschooled our kids, so it's like not an issue. Yeah. And uh, we went to live in Victoria, which is the capital of the Basque Country. Mm -hmm. And we went because we'd seen, I think we'd seen Strictly Ballroom, which has got this amazing Spanish stuff in it, going, oh, Spanish culture is amazing. That's the most most different you could be and still be in Europe. And Let's go and live in Spain. And for one reason or another, we ended up living in the Basque country where our neighbours were like quite hardline Basques. Right. Totally. And they were lovely, absolutely lovely. And Basque culture is great, all about food and everything. And they were so welcoming to us which is another thing I'll tell you about in a minute, but they are so welcoming that we just fell for it completely. And we just literally never left. We lived in Spain for a year and never left the Basque country. Wow. We, in fact, we did. We went to Burgos, which is just over the border one day. And they were like, what would you go there for? Why would you go there? <laughs> and it's like, it's like, <laughs> and it was like well, because El Cid is buried there. And it's like yes. three miles over the border. It's like, yeah, well, I suppose. It's like, so we completely <laughs> bought the whole thing. And then on the very last day, the barrio we were very popular the barrio threw a party for us leaving oh, wow. and some people did flamenco and we were like shit that's why we wanted to come and live in spain and our neighbors were like flamenco what a load of rubbish eh you yes. know so much better basque dancing with the two little handkerchiefs that you wave in the air hmm?
0: yes what's this <laughs> so i lived out right of the other end i lived down in uh, Barajos, uh, yeah
1: so you lived in proper spain
0: It's yeah, down on the Portuguese border. It was in the middle of my degree. I had to spend a year in Spain for part of my Spanish degree at a uni. I did the English language teaching assistant job. Um, You just say apply and they send you wherever there's a gap because I thought I want to be sent somewhere random because I thought, you know, just for my visits to Spain already, I know that you can basically spend a year in Madrid or Barcelona or Sevilla and not actually have to speak a word of Spanish, you know. I want to be thrown right in. And I ended up in Badajoz where they speak with this filthy regional accent, which I've now completely picked up when I speak Spanish, to the point where, well this, you'll know that whenever I meet somebody else from anywhere else in Spain they think I sound hilarious because I sound like Jan Mulby. Do you remember Jan Mulby when he used to play for Liverpool in the 80s and he was Danish but he had a sort of strange hybrid Scandinavian Scouts accent and used to talk like this well apparently that is what I sound like to anybody else from Spain yeah, <laughs> um, is, is is I've got this sort of filthy regional accent, but I'm yeah. also fairly obviously not Spanish. I wouldn't mind actually boning it up because I mean, you know, my languages are Spanish and French, and my littlest is learning French and kind of struggling with it, and I'm slowly realizing just how horribly rusty my French is. Called.
1: Yeah, well, so um, we did the same in France. We lived in we lived in Lille in France. Right, uh, it's like. You know, we told people we we're going to move to France for a year, and it was like, oh, so you're going to Provence? It's like, nah, we're going to a big, wet, northern industrial city <laughs> because, <laughs> well, I don't know why. Anyway, uh, and that's got a notorious accent, uh, which yeah. is that, like it's called Sti and it's right. practically incomprehensible to. It's so incomprehensible to French people that the most popular French film of all time is called um, uh, uh, Bienvenue chez les T, which right. is, and the only joke in it is. Christ you can't understand what these people are saying <laughs> it's just the only joke is that Leo people speak and everyone goes what? It's what like So my daughter lived there and that's what you know we, I mean we all moved there and she ended up doing a French oral exam when she came back and like the oral exam she said, she said he was just staring at me
0: <laughs>
1: that's
0: brilliant yeah I mean because um my ex-wife is English uh, German English German uh, bilingual grew up in Berlin in the 80s and so you know i keep meaning to get my german together but my weird thing is and i don't know whether this is a function of being a languages graduate when i'm in germany i start speaking german right i haven't learned it i just start speaking
1: it. oh because so you've got um, an
0: ear i've yeah i seem to have an ear for it that's so i i i get the feeling that what it would take for me to learn german is either bury myself in duolingua for a year or go and stay in Germany for a month
1: <laughs> yes, no, I mean that's definitely true, so when we moved to France, the older kids mm-hmm. did their best, but the younger ones just yeah. imitated the sound and uh, the way when you first hear a pop song that you like yeah. you pick out phrases and sing it, and then you kind of la la the rest mm-hmm. and I remember like the youngest coming home and saying like a French thing and then kind of going, you know so so song thinking you're going to get beaten up but she was actually yeah. really popular and um so i think that's it like you you hear the tune and if you get the tune yes then you can patch in the words and if you're unselfconscious enough to sing the tune you'll get there really quickly and she had she's, she's the one who had a really really strong accent yeah and that was really funny because there's this thing isn't there, like if you learn a language you gain a new soul and she's this very decorous she's this lovely 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 Genteel, I mean, not, you know she's a scouser, right, but this yeah. lovely, gentle, genteel kid who, uh, she's just gorgeous, sort of ethereal creature who'd yeah. come home and go, uh, oh, mummy, we had such a nice day and blah, 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 we couldn't kind of be any help. And then she'd speak French and she'd go, bon tu veux quoi? And she'd like, a completely different personality in French. And a completely they, different body language because she'd learnt the body language as well as the vocabulary.
0: There used to be a cafe on Regent Street that was run by, I think, four Cockney Italian brothers. Right. Who used to shout at each other in Italian and it's do it like, like proper cockney to the Panthers. Oh yeah, so funny. Oh I do for you. You know, and the thing is they, you're right they had completely different personalities because in when they were speaking italian you know their elbows were up around their ears the whole time and yeah like and then like they're being cockney and they're doing that thing with a cockney chin you know what i mean yeah. the chin out of it sort of stuff you know and and and, and they spoke two different body languages <laughs> they didn't just speak two different languages yeah I, I used to love those guys I used to go in there and get coffee when i was working at the bbc just so i could watch them you know latin and out of uh, and out, laps in and out of these two entirely different nationalities
1: there's a brilliant crazy. bit in um, the greatest book ever written which is um, naples 44 by norman lewis right norman lewis was a, an intelligence officer in the war and he kept a diary of dealing with the denazification of naples which was it's just every single page of that book makes you go what say, say yeah. that again what that what and he speaks flawless italian which yeah. and his side is his sergeant who's with him doesn't speak any but completely goes native without ever learning italian but completely learning the sign language yes you know learning the gestures and being able to sort of disparage people and court people and have affairs just by especially in naples i think where people talk across balconies a lot you know yeah. you've got this big tenement so there was there was a lot of Gesticul- gesticulating became it's kind of teaching on the brink of an actual sign language yes yeah, so so it's, it's amazing semaphore, or, you know yeah. yeah it's a jaw-dropping book every page of that book makes you go no no that didn't happen
0: will <laughs> like, have to get that out naples 44 yeah. amazing frank i have taken up way too much of your time
1: thank oh this was a joy so thank you so much it was really great
0: I could have talked to Frank Cottrell Boyce all day, and I damn near did. In fact, if you would like to hear the unedited version of our conversation, then it is available on my Patreon page as a patron-only exclusive. If you are in a position to do so, please consider visiting patreon.com slash Mitch and finding out how you can support me doing this and all the other crazy stuff I do for as little as one US dollar a month. Okay, I'll be back in about a week with another one of these, and this time I mean it.